0: All right, so, um, can you tell me something I really didn't need to know? Hey, Mom, tell me something I didn't need to know. So how about let's learn something we really don't need to know?
1: Good afternoon, Mary. Hi, Hannah. How are you? Great. Yeah. Great, great, great. Welcome, everyone, to Tell Me Something I Didn't Need to Know. Hi, I'm Mary Swartz. I'm Hannah Green. Woohoo! thanks for sharing some time with us today. We are so happy to have you here with us. I know. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. Um, the sun is shining. The weather is great. About three quarters of the way through June. Happy Father's Day, everybody. If you are a father, a stepfather, happy Father's Day to you. If you're not, happy
2: Sunday. That's right. Enjoy the day. You definitely deserve it. What are we drinking, Mary? That's a very good question, Hannah. What are we drinking? I don't know. You tell me.
1: Whatever I, we like. I believe we're drinking iced tea. Yes. Because we're boring.
2: We are. Well, wow. we like iced tea. So. We like a lot of things, though. So. And it is warm. It is. And iced tea is a great drink to have today. weather's been in the high 80s. Yeah. We've hit in the low 90s. I'm not bitching about it. I like warm weather. Yeah. It's been pretty nice. I know.
1: All right.
2: What do we got going on on
1: the other podcast this week, Mary?
2: Oh, uh, so on Wednesday, Murder, Mischief, and Moscato is coming out with the wrong place at the wrong time. Ooh. I know it sounds mysterious. Uh, it is really about a 27 year old disappearance that gets solved. Yes, it does. And we also cover historic medicine, treatment, or torture. That is correct. Yes, I'm pretty sure there was a bunch of oh my gods in there. <laughs> I believe you are correct. Yes, it is one of those episodes that you really should not miss, in my opinion. It was a really, really fun episode to record.
1: Yes. Have we had any that weren't? I would say we've had a few that were much more serious. Yeah. And there wasn't nearly as much laughter. Sarcasm, of course, but not as much laughter. True. But this one was
2: definitely fun to oh, record. Yeah. Especially when Absolutely. you go back into history and you, yeah, this is how they used to do things. <laughs> <laughs> Just kill me now. Just kill me now some of that stuff would oh dear god i can't believe it didn't or if it did they didn't figure it out honestly oh the
1: things that we know now that we didn't know
2: that mm-hmm. well oh. one of the cool things is that a number of years ago you and i went through a very small rural museum and part of the museum they had turned into um was it a, called an apothecary type yes replica yes Uh, with actual prescriptions and stuff, and it was horrifying. I mean, not, like, gross horrifying. It was horrifying that, air quotes, knowledgeable people, men, wrote these prescriptions for things that will just kill you, and people took them. Oh, yeah.
1: Religiously. Absolutely. When you read the ingredients. Take
2: some um, cocaine.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, And not just that, but, like, laudanum. That was a huge, oh, huge, huge thing. Huge
2: thing. <laughs> I think Todd is trying to fly up
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> For our listeners who don't already know this, I talk with my hands a lot.
2: She was talking not just with her hands, but her arms were in motion too. <laughs> it's very emphatic.
1: Yes, she is. Yeah, it just was, it's very interesting to me to go back and revisit history and the things that, as you said, educated, knowledgeable people, people who went to college
2: to learn this stuff, believed to be true. So... And at that point in time, it probably was. I mean, in, in their day and age, it probably was. It just... Is a little bit on the horrifying side now because we know so very, very, very much more. Yes, absolutely. Than we used to.
1: Absolutely. That having been said, there's actually a lot to some of the ancient medicine that was very wise and still holds true and makes for great therapy and treatments today still.
2: Oh, yeah. And I'm very much into that kind of stuff. I'm very much into the don't. Take prescriptions unless you absolutely positively have to.
1: Well, for those of our listeners who aren't aware, I actually work at a health store. So, a lot of the things that I help people with stem from ancient medicine. And it is. It's very interesting to learn. It is. All right, Mary. Do you have a national day for us today? I do.
2: I do. My national day is pronounced Queen Amon. National Queen Amon Day. Is that where
1: we put a crown on a man and call him a queen? You could. In like a Jamaican accent?
2: You could. Queen Amon. But he'd have to be eating a round crusty cake while he is doing that. Ooh, I like cake. I know. Um, Queen Amon. It's National Queen Amon Day. I kind of like that word. Um, Each year celebrates a round crusty cake made with a yeast-raised dough. Ooh, like a donut. No, not like a donut. Bakers create the cake by folding layers of butter and sugar inwards, similar to a puff pastry or, or a croissant. Yum. They slowly bake the resulting cake until the butter puffs up the dough, creating a layered aspect to, of it, and then it caramelizes the sugar inside. It sounds similar to baklava. Could be. Yum. Queen amon comes from Breton words for cake and butter. Queen for cake. Amon for butter. So in Brittany, which is in France, Queen Amon is a popular and traditional pastry. It originated in 1860 when flour was scarce, but butter was very abundant. If you like croissants and you like glazed donuts, you're just going to love Queen Amons because the flaky, buttery texture. I'm making myself hungry. I know. I feel like I need
1: to get in the car and go to the bakery I know. (laughs) Me too. There's a bakery down the road that sells deep fried cinnamon rolls that are as big as dinner plates we'll be right back (laughs)
2: Uh, anyway yeah my mouth is like going "Mm, give me some of that the flaky buttery texture of the croissants meets the sugary sweet topping of a donut but it's not a cronut it's a queen and it's been around a lot longer too
1: i kind of want to find one of these just to be able to try it
2: i know or Mm. google it and we can make our own that sounds
1: awesome i know Okay, if we try this, we'll let you know how it turns out. And we learned a new word. Yeah. Well, my day is perfectly paired with your day. All right. My day is National Ice Cream Soda Day. Ooh, we're going to get fat today. Yeah. So go out and enjoy a cool, frothy ice cream soda to celebrate today. Mm-mm. Now, there are many claims to the invention of this delicious treat. One such claim was made by a Mr. Robert McKay Green. According to Mr. Green, he created the beverage in 1874 in Philly. Okay. He actually had uh, a shop or a stand where he sold shaved ice treats. One day, he ran out of ice, so he began substituting ice cream and had a hit on his hands. All right? Green even included in his will that his gravestone should read, here lies the originator of the ice cream soda. However, Philip Moore of Elizabeth, New Jersey, would mix soda water with ice cream to make the drink colder. His practice took place as early as
2: 1862.
1: Okay. So, A couple years. that was earlier than Mr. Green's claim. Yeah. Advertisements in an 1862 Newport Daily News for Sheld's celebrated ice cream soda encourages customers to try it, try it, try it. By the looks of it, it was something new at the time. But whenever the ice cream soda was invented, it was certainly a winning combination. Because for generations, we have been enjoying the mixture of soda pop Mm -hmm. and ice cream together. See, the only soda pop I ever do that with is root beer. So root beer is one of my favorites. I actually have two others that I really like. Okay, what else do you like? I like to do this with orange soda and vanilla bean ice cream. Okay. And then a couple of years ago, I went to an old-fashioned soda fountain, which are so much fun. Yes, they are. So I went to one in, in downtown Knoxville, Tennessee, and I decided to try something a little different, and I got an ice cream soda made with ginger beer. Okay, I've never had it. It's just... It's stronger than ginger ale and not as strong as Verner's. So it's got that nice gingery bite. Okay. And then you put your vanilla ice cream in there with it, and it's just this really nice bite but creamy, delicious combination. Okay. So those are my favorites. Whatever your favorite is, go out and enjoy one today with your loved ones.
2: And a queen of mine. And a Queen Amon, if you can find one. No kidding. Awesome. That is too funny. Yeah. Yummy. Yeah. It's lunchtime. I know.
1: Put this thing on pause. Let's go find a donut. No freaking doubt. All right. What you got for us today, Mary? You have any tidbits? I do. All
2: right. A manager at an Ohio library said a man who checked out a Bob Dylan record returned the borrowed item through the mail.
1: Are we talking vinyl record? Yes, ma'am. I don't think that returning it by mail is necessarily the best approach, but okay.
2: Go on. 48 years later.
1: Oh my
2: (laughs) gosh. (laughs) Well, at least they got it back. Hopefully it was still in working order. Sarah Phillips, manager of the University Heights branch branch of Heights Libraries, said an oddly shaped package arrived in the mail on a recent day. I'm sure they put it in the bubble, bubble envelopes. I'd put it in the bubble envelope.
1: Unless you don't live in the area anymore, I'm not sure why you would mail it.
2: So Sarah says, I got a package in the mail from San Francisco that was record-shaped. And lo and behold, it contained a record from our collection that was due back in June of 1973. Wow. The record, Self-Portrait by Bob Dylan, had been checked out by Howard Simon when he was an eighth grader. Oh my goodness. At Wiley Middle School in Cleveland Heights. And he still had it. Simon included a note with the record that revealed he had recently discovered the album among his personal collection and decided to return it. Sounds like he didn't realize he had still had it.
1: Oh, that's very sweet.
2: Um, As a recent retiree, I am taking the opportunity to turn my attention to some of the many things of life that by dint of career and family have been neglected these many years, Simon wrote. In that context, I am returning with this letter an overdue item. By his count, approximately 17,480 days overdue as of the day he wrote the letter. Oh my goodness. Phillips said Simon included a $175 donation with the record as well as a copy of his own album, Western Reserve. That's very cool. Uh Phillips said Simon's album might end up as part of the library's music collection. The really funny thing about this is that we don't charge, we don't charge overdue fines. As okay. long as they get the item back, they don't charge overdue fines.
1: Our local libraries actually started doing that, too. They actually cleared the books of all overdue fines as long as the item has been returned. That's awesome. If the item hasn't been returned and you have it, return it, no fines.
2: Yeah, see, to me, that's really cool. Yes, it is. Um, so Sarah says that, that they don't see any reason to penalize people. She said, we're grateful that Mr. Simon returned the record. She said, I'd say we can call it even now. That is very, very cool. I love
1: that story. Thanks for sharing
2: that. Yeah. Well, it reminded me of, I saw a news story that this woman actually went to jail for having that VHS tape from From Blockbuster Blockbuster or something. something. Yeah.
1: From like 1992
2: or something. Yeah. Yeah. Please. It's a VHS tape. They wrote it off.
1: I was going to say, well, first of all, Blockbuster no longer
2: even exists. VH tapes, VHS tapes are no longer a thing.
1: I don't even know anybody personal. Okay, I take that back. I do know one person
2: personally who might still have a VHS player. I'm trying to remember his name. It's a him, isn't it? It's Bill. That's. I was trying to remember his name. For some reason, his name wouldn't come to my head. He's the only person I would know that would have one. And like I said, maybe. At least one, if not more. <laughs> maybe. Maybe.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Have you a story for us today, Mary?
2: I do. I do. I do. I always have something anyway. All right. You have a story, and then I have a story. Okay. You you went first last time, I'll go first this time. Yeah. Too hot to handle. Ooh. I know. If you had picked up just about any newspaper in the United States back in the March of 1923. Oh, my Lord. You would have read about the woman that the press nicknamed Fever Girl. Okay. Do you want to guess what state this is located (laughs) in? Is this Pennsylvania by chance? No, what's your second state?
1: Michigan. Yes, it is. Oh, my goodness.
2: Fever Girl was 30-year-old Evelyn Lyons, and at the time she resided at 509. She doesn't live there anymore. South 9th Street in Escanaba, Michigan.
1: For those of you who are unaware, Escanaba is way, way up in the very top
2: of the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Yes, and if she was still alive, she'd be like 113 right now. So just who is Evelyn anyway? Who was she? We don't really know a whole lot about her except for the fact that she was Fever Girl. Okay. What made Evelyn famous was her unusual medical condition. As I mentioned, she was incredibly hot. That's why they called her Fever Girl. Not necessarily in the looks department either, but temperature wise. Uh, Evelyn had been suffering from an extremely high fever, one that maxed out the clinical thermometers that were typically used at the time, which maxed out at 110 degrees Fahrenheit.
1: Oh, my God. How was her brain not cooking? Seriously. That's a damn
2: good question. The amazing part of her story was that while most people would have suffered brain damage, organ damage, or had been killed by such a high fever, Miss Lyons was still conscious. She had maintained her full appetite, Oh, my and gosh. And she seems to be completely rational. What the heck? Crazy. The story goes that she had initially caught the flu, which developed into full-blown pneumonia. And for a period of about two weeks, Evelyn had a fever of 107. And then in the four days prior to the story breaking in the news on March 4th of 1923, it had jumped to 114, which the doctors estimated by placing additional gradations on the thermometer which I'm not really sure how they did that back then because Me their either. thermometers maxed out at 110 right so somehow they added something to the thermometer to make it go higher I'm not Oh positive. my gosh I know it's crazy Dr. Harry Defnet who was the city health commissioner who had actually been placed in charge of her case because by now it's it's a case told the press that Miss Lyons fever had baffled all of the doctors in Escanaba he reported that Evelyn was being treated at home and that her mother, Hannah Lyons, was having a very tough time keeping her in bed. At one point in time, she had totally disappeared, and the neighbors frantically searched the entire neighborhood for her. And they found Evelyn about an hour later, dressed only in a nightgown, laying in a snowbank in an alley near her home.
1: Uh, yeah, I imagine. With a fever that high, you would be desperate You'd be to- doing anything.
2: Yeah. Anything. Yeah. When asked what happened, Evelyn responded, I was tired of staying in bed and I needed to cool off. Now I... Can't speak for a lot of other people, but when I get a fever, I alternate between hot and cold. Right. I'm freaking dying of heat or I'm freezing Freezing. to death. Yes. So I don't know that I would jump in a snowbank to cool off. We're not talking about menopause here. No, but I also don't know. If you
1: had a fever that high, I don't know even if you appeared to be lucid. I don't know how rational your thoughts would be. That is true. Especially if it had become a prolonged problem.
2: That is true. So needless to say, Evelyn was taken back into her mother's house. Her temperature was taken again, and her fever was still very high. And according to various newspapers, the doctors were very concerned as to what might happen if her fever actually just dropped. That suddenly. also makes sense. Some felt the fever might have co- may have been caused by a former tumor that was pressing up against the thermal centers of her brain. The doctors kind of thought maybe that that's why the high fever was there. On March six, her fever rose even higher to a new record of 118. I don't know how on earth this woman was still alive. Although this was only an estimation due to the limitations of the thermometers that were available. Uh, yeah. One thing that was certain was that when Dr. Defnett inserted his thermometer into her mouth, the mercury rose to the point where it just popped open the little glass tube. Oh, yeah. I can imagine. yeah. That's bad. Yet... Through all of this, Evelyn continued to lack the typical symptoms that accompany a high fever. She occasionally complained about a little bit of pain, but that was really about it. She seemed to be very lucid. Day after day, the press followed her progress. Letters and telegrams arrived from all over the nation, some expressing their get-well wishes and others offering medical advice. Seems normal. Yeah. During an interview with a reporter, Evelyn remarked, I wish you would thank, through the Associated Press, all of the people for me. She added, I am glad to have their comfort in my fight for victory and I would like to thank each one separately. She further stated, I know I will recover. I wish I could get outdoors because I know I would be better off if I got out into the cold air. But I guess I will have to obey the physician because he undoubtedly knows what's best. On her 16th day with that high fever, both Dr. Duffnet and Dr. Moll, who was secretary of the Delta County Medical Association at the time, they both signed statements to the Associated Press. And Dr. Mole's statement read, I found the temperature to be the maximum of a thermometer, which I estimated 114 or more. The patient is rational. The odd case is not exaggerated, and it is true to the letter. Another Escanaba physician, Dr. Snyder, visited her the next day, and he reported, There can be no doubt of the correctness of previous temperature readings. At this point in time, they decide it's time to bring in the experts from the big city. Makes sense. The New York Times reports on March 19th that a couple of top-notch physicians from Chicago would be arriving shortly to offer their opinions. Miss Lyons was quoted as saying, If they would only quit thinking me, of me as a freak, I don't intend to die just because I have a temperature, I'm going to get well. But things seemed to go downhill quickly over the next couple of days. The Weather Bureau actually supplied a special thermometer, and her fever was now registering a whopping 100 and 24 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh my god! Dr. Defnet reported that Evelyn had lost her appetite, had grown weaker, and was now starting to show signs of serious nervous disorders. And then suddenly it was all over. No, Evelyn Lyons did not die. Instead, her body temperature had miraculously dropped to the normal range and she survived. What the hell? The headline in the March 13th edition of the Chicago Daily Tribune explained it Hot water bag put the lie in Miss Lyons. <gasps>
1: But how was she getting her internal temperature that high?
2: Only taking it in her mouth at that point in time. I don't think they did. Um, they only did oral temperature, right? But I'm just
1: saying. How did she? How was she getting it that high?
2: Well, let's discuss this. It was the two doctors from Chicago that actually figured it out. Their first checks of Miss Lyon's temperature with a mouth thermometer were consistent with the high readings that had been reported in the press. However, with her permission. They had Doctor Duffner catheter, catheterize her, and they collected a sample of urine. Okay. And they took a temperature reading of this of the urine. Right, because Which if your body normal.
1: because if your body temperature was that high, your urine would also be
2: extremely hot. Yes, the two results were not in agreement. The oral thermometer indicated a high fever. The urine showed her that her temperature was totally normal. The doctors knew that they were being had, and they asked her to come clean, and she strongly protested, but she did allow them to take her temperature again orally to prove that she was really sick. But getting that measurement wasn't easy because at that point in time, Miss Lyons kept removing the thermometer from her mouth and she would shake it wildly and express her concern that the glass tube would shatter in her mouth. She's only had her temperature taken about 300,000 times by now, right? Eventually, she did cooperate and as they expected, the thermometer showed no fever. So the doctors once again demanded that Miss Lyons tell them how she pulled off the deception but She offered no deception or no explanation. So they placed the thermometer in her mouth and they left the room. Except they didn't really shut the door. They spied on her. They spied on her. She was observed to arch her back upward and then place her hands and the thermometer underneath and then returned the thermometer to her mouth. When the doctors came back into the room, they demanded that she produce whatever she was hiding. She sat up in bed. They searched the bed (coughs) cover and they produced... An extremely hot water hot water an extremely hot water bottle that was about the size of a basketball so it's huge which means it's going to stay hot for a long time right it turns out that her mother had regularly provided the hot water bottle to help relieve pain in her both of her in both her abdomen and her back and what her mother didn't realize was that every time the doctors attempted to take her temperature she would take the thermometer put it on the hot water bottle and then put it back in her mouth Wow. In an Associated Press interview published on March 14th, Escanaba's fever girl offered her apology and said, my hoax first entered my head when Dr. Henry Defnett, the attending physician, turned his back to me. I touched the bulb of the thermometer to the hot water bottle. She added, Saturday night, I knew that the collapse of the trick was over, which is when the doctors from Chicago found her out. She further stated, I knew Dr. Defnett was onto my scheme. I was so clumsy, so clumsy, and then they caught me. And yet, by the end of the day, she was already denying the whole thing. <clears throat> Further investigation, which was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, determined that Ms. Lyons had visited every doctor in the area complaining of various maladies. She was an attention seeker. Dr. Defnet had previously been called on to remove a piece of rubber from her bladder because, having been a formal, former nurse, she attempted to catheterize herself.
1: So she, she wasn't just an attention seeker. She was actually a medically, a trained medical professional.
2: Yes. She proved to be such an annoyance during that whole procedure that she had become a persona non grata at the hospital. And that was before the whole fever thing got started. It was also learned that even though she was suffering from a record high fever that could have cost her her life, doctors were unable to convince her to go to the hospital or even to stay in bed. The only way they could get her to the hospital was for the police to take her there. She would remain in the hospital for about two days with normal body temperature before leaving the hospital and returning to her home in her imaginary fever. According to several press reports in the weeks following the discovery of the hot water bottle, Evelyn Lyons really was sick with a fever, but then nobody believed her because she cried wolf one too many times and no one was willing to fall for it again.
1: Right. And the sad thing is that she could have ended up very very sick and nobody would have believed her. Absolutely. Or been willing to treat her because of what she had done yeah. previously.
2: Yeah. I mean, how many how many people did she suck into this thing? How much time. money and time was wasted with this bimbo? That's really super super fucked up. Yeah. That is too hot to handle.
1: Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) Wow. Yes. All right, Mary, I've got one for you. Okay, you usually do, and they're usually really good. Have you heard of Palisade, Nevada? Yes. Okay. Most of us never have, because it's nothing more than a ghost town now. All that remains are a few wooden cabins, falling down remains and foundations of a town, and a pretty extensive cemetery, along with some railroad lines and abandoned mines, Today, around two dozen people live in the vicinity, but not in the town itself. The scenery there is breathtaking, though, and the town's history is a fascinating and almost mind-boggling tale. Tell us a tale, Hannah. And so I shall. Thank you. Palisade, which is located in Eureka County, Nevada, about halfway between Reno and Salt Lake City, began in 1868 as a station for the Central Pacific Railroad. It quickly became a transportation hub for the local mining companies and the mining. I
2: think a lot of little towns started off that way.
1: Yes. Built right. along the Humboldt River, it was named for the sheer rock face that you can see from the town. In May of 1870, a post office was established there. And in 1874, the Eureka and Palisade Railroad was established. The population quickly exploded. By 1880, the population had reached 600 people. Booming. Well, for back then, that, then. that was a big town. The town had beautiful churches, lodges, businesses, and a residential area. The International Order of the Odd Fellows and the Masons both built lodges in Palisade. There was a large shop built by the Eureka and Palisade Railroad, where railroad cars were manufactured. And Palisade became the headquarters for the railroad. By 1878, more than 31 million... Pounds of base bullion had been shipped by the railroad. That's a lot of bullion. Yes, it is. Palisade, however, became known as the roughest, toughest town west of Chicago. News of senseless killings there flooded newspapers all over the nation. Articles and letters from around the nation were written regarding the waste of human life and the senseless violence, begging the law to clean up the evil town. Many rich tourists bought tickets to ride the railroad through the town where the train had had a brief stop, hoping to see if the life and crime was really as brutal as they had heard it was.
2: So we buy tickets to sightsee in the hopes that we'll see someone die? Pretty much. It had become a must-see stop on their trips.
1: People from across the nation, rich people, bought railroad tickets just to go do this. We're doing this all wrong. Clearly the first reported crime that made national news happened one day in 1876 the train had made its usual brief stop in palisade the passengers disembarking to get a quick bite to eat frank west a local resident was leaning against a fence not far from the train station smoking a cigarette elvin kittleby another local approached frank yelling at him there you are you low down polecat! i've been waiting for you I'm going to kill you for what you did to my poor little sister. Frank, without saying a word, simply dropped his cigarette, pulled his gun, and shot Alvin in the chest. (gasps) Clutching his chest and screaming in pain, Alvin fell to the ground, (gasps) where, within seconds, he was silent and he was still. Women screamed and fainted. People scattered, looking for shelter. A group of men ran out from a nearby saloon and gathered up Alvin's body, carrying it back to the saloon with them. Another group of town people gathered up Frank, grabbed him, hauling him toward the jail, with Frank screaming and fighting the whole way there. The train passengers were left frightened and confused. They had apparently lost their appetites. They abandoned their lunches and they hurried back to the train. That's not good for business. Where a few brave souls peered out the windows and the rest hid, crouching on the floor and behind the seats. Everyone seemed to breathe a sigh of relief when the train pulled out of the station For safety, And as the train pulled out of sight, the people of Palisade came out into the streets, laughing. The gunfight had been a hoax. Oh my God, it's another hoax. (laughs) The first of more than 1,000 performances that the town would stage before the joke was over. The town was all in on it. The rest of the nation wasn't. So they weren't that horrible. The town wasn't really that crime ridden. Frank was actually a cowboy from a nearby ranch. Elvin? He was a cattle buyer for, for a local cattle company. <laughs> the town continued to stage bank robberies, shootouts with the sheriff. Oh my god. And even Indian massacres with the help of the local Shoshone Indians. The massacres could last as long as ten minutes and used blood from the local slaughterhouse.
2: That's quite a unique tourist attraction, I have to say. The staged crimes lasted
1: for years. They became more and more elaborate. No one working or riding on the railroad was ever attacked or harmed. But people never caught on to that fact. And they happily took the tales of what they saw home with them, where they reported them to their local newspapers, spreading the reputation and the draw to the town.
2: And so probably the
1: railroad profited from this whole thing, too. In all those years, not one single crime was committed for real in the town of Palisade. (laughs) In fact, Palisade, Nevada, didn't even have its own sheriff because there was no need for one. Oh, my God. Around 1886, the mine's production began to decline, and so did the population. In 1910, a series of floods devastated the town and damaged the railroad lines. The town never regained its success. By 1915, the population had dropped to 242 people. In 1917, the nearby silver mines were abandoned. In 1932, Palisade may have been the site of an assassination attempt on President Herbert Hoover's life. There is some dispute about that, however. Shortly before the president's train was due to pass through the town, a railroad inspector reported having come across a vagrant with 22 sticks of dynamite at the railroad trestle that went over the river. He reported that when he approached the vagrant, he was assaulted by two men, which allowed the vagrant to run off. Another railroad inspector, however, claimed... there was no vagrant it may have just been a ploy to try to draw attention back to the town in 1938 the eureka and palisade railroad abandoned palisade and in 1961 the post office was officially shut down from the 1920s on the town of palisade was actually owned by the relatives of an atlanta businessman his name is john sexton on April 25th, 2005, Sexton, who had inherited the town, auctioned off the entire town. Oh, my God. It was sold to an unnamed bidder for the total sum of $150,000. The entire town. Wow. Sexton said that the money would be used to pay for college tuition for his daughter. I couldn't find any information on the new owner or on any plans that they may have for the town. So far, nothing appears to have changed there at all. I, however, think it would be an amazing to take on that town, turn it back into what it once was, staged crimes and all. Road trip. It would definitely be an item on my bucket list.
2: Wow, Whole fucking town.
1: A whole fucking town. That's amazing. <laughs> that is
2: amazing. Whole town.
1: Yeah. I did see current-ish, like within the last 10 years or so, pictures of the town. And what's left there. And it is really cool to see. And given the chance, I would go wander. Oh, hell yeah. John Sexton hadn't been there for like 35 years before he auctioned it off. He was once in the vicinity and considered stopping by to check it out before he auctioned it off, but looked at a map and decided he didn't want to deal with it. So he didn't go.
2: Wow. Holy crap.
1: Yeah, I would totally, totally go. Just because there's so much amazing history there.
2: Oh, God, yeah. That is freaking amazing.
1: The whole damn town for years and not one single actual crime.
2: <laughs> oh, my God. That is that is an amazing story. I like that one. The town that faked the Wild Wild West. That's an amazing story. I thought you'd like you that You always one. do, though. You do. I thought you'd like that one you always do all right guys thanks for stopping by for spending part of your day with us hope you enjoyed our stories today i know i sure as hell did yeah
1: they were oh both God. really good stories it How was funny yeah, when were. i realized your story was about a hoax i know and i'm trying not to give anything away with my face
2: because mine's all about a hoax too well i couldn't believe you actually believe she had a fever that high
1: I was completely baffled and actually you are you were like the skeptic, okay? I am. So here was my thought though was well, it was a long time ago and thermometers weren't as accurate maybe. So perhaps fever really wasn't as high as they thought it was. That was my thought initially. <laughs> and then it kept getting higher Oy. and higher and all I could think is the hell i've heard of some really bizarre anatomical weirdness yeah but there's no reasonable explanation that anybody's human body could withstand prolonged temperatures like that (laughs) i once had heat stroke mary and my temperature wasn't anywhere near 110 degrees and i was freaking hallucinating that's horrible i end up being taken to the hospital hallucinating it was not good and even with my fever which was like 106 I was so physically I felt so cold that I went and stood in the shower and turned on the straight hot water and burned myself but it didn't feel co- it didn't feel hot to no me. so I mean there's a lot of of things about that story that I was just like oh my
2: god how <laughs> is this even possible I know <laughs> That was really awesome. Oh, they were both awesome.
1: I was kind of almost
2: pissed when I found out it was a hoax. (laughs) I kind of, like, suspected yours was because of your wording. Because he didn't fall over dead. No, he
1: clutched his chest
2: and fell to the ground screaming before he was still and silent. Yes, your wording gave it away to me because because I know you. Yes. That was an awesome story, though. I did not suspect the whole town. The that is whole, fucking amazing. Whole damn town was in on it. Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah, love it. Yeah. All right, guys. So if you um, if you enjoyed your short stop with us, yes, feel free to follow our podcast. Give leave us a rating and a review. You uh, can find us literally everywhere. We're everywhere. We are.
1: We're um, like the president. We're on every
2: channel. <laughs> suggestions, ideas, comments, if you have your own little stories, if you know some town history that's like a little bit quirky, a little bit strange, send them our way. We would love to um, give you a shout out on the air. If you have heard of some crazy hoax story
1: that you want to hear us cover, send it our way. We'll be happy to research it, write it up, and present it. You can find us on Facebook at Tell Me Something I Didn't Need to Know. Or at T-M-S-I-D-N-T-K at gmail.com.
2: We are also on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs>
1: so feel free to DM us on Twitter. Tweet at us. Mention us. Share us. Whatever yes.
2: works for you. Yeah, Feel free to f- share the podcast, any posts that you enjoy or like.
1: If you are a podcast host or hostess and you would like to cross-advertise with us, Reach out. We're more than happy to cross-advertise, give you a shout-out on our show, talk a little about one of your episodes or two episodes or whatever, you know, and get your name out there, too.
2: Heck, yeah. So, until next time, do we have any final thoughts? Or is it just goodbye for now? Thoughts? (laughs) What are those? Oh, my gosh. I don't even... I... Blah, 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 blah.
1: Mary has
2: no words. (laughs) That's oh. it.
1: <laughs> That's all,
2: folks. I'm... <laughs> I can't even do it. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, until next week, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
0: summer sky, grew lighter by inches as the hours inch by. With a clack of the rails, the city came into view. With the wind in my sails, I made my way up to you. Oh, Nancy, yeah. oh, Nancy, yeah. I'll do what I can. I'll do everything that I can to be a good man. you sweet, loving man. Oh, Nancy, Nancy, yeah. Walking the Broadway with your hand in mind. Never felt better, never felt so fine The light in the park had that crystalline glow That you only see sometimes when you know what you know Oh Nancy Ann, yeah. oh Nancy Ann yeah. I'll do what I can, I'll do everything that I can Be good man, your sweet loving man Oh Nancy Nancy Ann yeah. And how can it be that you know just what to say Whenever I need you in the night or the day, how could I love you any more than I?